I'd like to read uh, just a portion of Scripture this morning out of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning with verses 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength, and God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him on God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named, not only now, but in the future. I'm going to reread just a portion of that again. This power, Paul writes, is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. And God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens. You know, I've always found Easter to be easier to celebrate when things are going well. And now maybe that's more of a confession than I intended it to be. But if it was, but if it was, so be it, because it's true. Easter has always been easier to celebrate when life is going well. And by well, I mean my health is good, my family is doing good, my friends are in relatively good shape, my retirement fund is doing good, and the world feels somewhat stable and even, well, maybe a little bit boring. I think boring would be nice for once in a while. Now, there may be a few natural disasters and there may be a few disruptive events that make the breaking news and the headlines, but a stable world makes for a pleasant Easter. And maybe that's the phrase I'm looking for, and maybe I just kind of stumbled on it all of a sudden. For most of my life, my Easter has been a pleasant Easter. Often the weather's nice, like it has been this weekend. Flowers are in full color. Sometimes the Masters Golf Tournament is on, and everyone begins to turn their attention slowly towards summer and beach trips and vacations, and it's the final sprint towards the end of school. And all of this is preceded by a pleasant Easter. But this year is different. This Easter feels different. And maybe we are a little bit weary of hearing how everything is different because of the pandemic our world is presently experiencing. You know, I get that because sometimes I'm weary of hearing that. But just for the moment, let's lean into this reality because I think it's not that different from what the early followers of Jesus experienced during their three days of his death and resurrection. In fact, it wasn't a very pleasant experience for them as well. So far from being present, the early followers of Jesus' experience was that of disillusionment, despair, uncertainty, fear, and hopelessness. Now, each, each of them had their expectations of Jesus and what his ultimate revolution would bring. Some of them were hoping for this violent overthrow of the Roman government, a kind of coup in which Jesus would claim the throne. Others were fine with just getting the Roman boots off the back of their necks so they wouldn't feel so downtrodden and enslaved. And I'm Sure, there were others who, for the first time, felt seen by Jesus and included through Jesus' ministry and compassionate presence, and now he's gone. And this is the one person that they could go for healing and hope and wholeness and love, and now he's no more. 
And generally speaking, the followers of Jesus lived in a world that had its own uncertainties and fears, fears of an occupying Roman Empire, fear of being arrested or crucified, uncertain whether or not they would ever experience freedom and uncertainties about their own futures. And after Jesus' death, my sense is that this triad of disillusionment, hopelessness, and uncertainty permeated the atmosphere of all of those who followed Jesus. And their main question probably being, what are we going to do now? And it feels like the central question of many that I encounter in the present. What are we going to do now? The notice of the furlough or layoff comes. What are we going to do now? The business or company shuts down. What are we going to do now? Our retirement account isn't what it used to be two months ago. Well, what are we going to do now? We're limited in our travel and social interactions. What are we going to do now? How about that event we planned? What are we going to do now? Or my health isn't really where it needs to be. What are we going to do now? It certainly is not the world and moment we would have chosen, but it certainly is the world and moment we presently live in. And it was also the world and moment the early followers of Jesus lived in as well, but it was also the world and moment in which the powers of futility, hopelessness, and uncertainty and fear were no match for the powers of the resurrection life. You know, the great response to what are we going to do now is not found in a belief statement, but in an experience of, alive, of aliveness and life. I recall a few years ago during one Easter, a person came up to me and asked this very simple question. So do you really believe in that resurrection stuff? Now, it wasn't a cynical question. It wasn't a jaded question. It wasn't a gotcha question. It came from an honest and sincere heart. And I wanted to give an honest and sincere answer. What I didn't want to do was kind of do the easy thing and give a very pastor-like theological response because, quite honestly, this wasn't a person that was going to connect with a response like just have faith or because the Bible says so or because the ancient creeds decree it. And so I honored the question and I began to ask myself, what have I experienced that I could confess as part of my understanding an encounter with the resurrection life. And I realized that what I had experienced was this, that there is this energizing and aliveness to life that I could not have manufactured on my own. And as I began to look around me, and I began to notice how this energy and aliveness was also inherent in life itself and all of creation, and you've heard me talk about this before, like the example of the flower just busting through the asphalt or the cement, there is this life and vitality that will not be kept down. The great African-American preacher and writer Howard Thurman once wrote these words, quote, it is a matter of profoundest significance to me that life itself is alive. Again and again, we are so completely overwhelmed by the awareness that particular trees, particular animals, particular people are alive that we miss the tremendous importance of the fact that all of these particular things are alive because life is alive. And it is the aliveness of life that guarantees the vitality of everything that lives. Now, it's interesting that Howard Thurman makes this distinction between life and being alive. It's as if he's really saying this, one can have life, but still not be alive. 
You and I can be breathing, and we call that life. But we may not be alive in the sense of experiencing vitality and an energized spirit. And so to the person who posed the resurrection question to me, I remember saying this. I believe in the resurrection because all around me I see aliveness and vitality. I believe in the resurrection because I have witnessed people come alive within their hearts and souls and there was transformation in their life. I believe in this resurrection because I have personally experienced the difference between just having a life and feeling alive and filled with a deep vitality. Maybe not all the time, but I've experienced it and I know it to be true. I believe in the resurrection because I've witnessed folks who are able to discover within themselves a resilience, a perseverance, a courage they could not have had otherwise. They could not have manufactured on their own. It truly is and was by the grace of God. Another person who knew this to be true was the Apostle Paul. His encounter with the risen and living Christ transformed him from a person who had this religious life into a person who was alive, fully alive in the grace and spirit of God. And Paul knew firsthand this empowering energy of God's presence. He knew it so much that he prayed that others would experience it as well. And in his letter to the Ephesians, he prayed this prayer, and I read it earlier, quote, the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens. So let's put this in simple terms. What Paul is praying for for you and I and for anybody who's ever read these words. And what Paul is saying is this. The same power and energy present at the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power and energy available to all of creation as well as you and I. So we can experience the aliveness and vitality God intends for all of creation. You see, resurrection is not a belief statement, but it is an encounter and experience of the power of God that energizes our lives with aliveness and re-energizes our, our hope, our faith, our trust, and our love. And as Quakers like to say, this is not a one-time event to be studied, admired, and professed. This is a living reality in the here and now. And it is a living experience that is available to all of us in the here and now. Anyone in the gospel stories and the scriptures that encountered the risen and living Christ ended up as a transformed person if they were receptive. Not transformed for another life, not transformed for another world, but transformed for this life and this world for this moment. In her book, Practicing Resurrection, author Jeannie Miley writes these words, quote, All my life I have been around people who have been living witnesses to me of the resurrection principle. That spark of life, that inner wellspring, that amazing grace of hope that provides stamina, strength, resilience, and persistence, and radiates to others, striking a spark of hope and courage in those they encounter. It fills the empty cups of others with their overflow of hope. I know that feeling that Jeannie Miley writes about, too. I have been around these kinds of folks these people that inspire me with, as she writes, that inner wellspring, that amazing grace of hope, that it provides stamina, strength, 
resilience, and persistence. And I witnessed this in many of you folks here at Deep River Fence Meeting. I've witnessed it over my 18 years as some of you have overcome great odds. Some of you have overcome great challenges. Some of you have overcome loss, and even as recently in the last week or two. And some of you have overcome change. And I'm witnessing it right now in some of you as you're facing new challenges with your jobs and others are adapting to all the huge changes we are experiencing. I witness it in your generosity of spirit and your willingness to say, what do you need me to do? How can I help? And in all of you, I witness, as the Apostle Paul writes, the energy of God's powerful strength at work in all you do. And in this moment in which it would be very easy to just give up and lay down, I witness you all showing up every day, leaning into this moment with all the grace, energy, vitality, and strength, and power of the resurrection that it has to offer. And you really do inspire me. And you deepen my faith in this power and this vitality and this present reality of resurrection power. Before me in this place and in this congregation, I have living stories of this resurrection aliveness. Now, this is why I resonate with the words of Jeannie Miley again. And here's what she offers. Quote, like Mary Magdalene, rushing to tell the disciples about having seen the risen Christ, I feel an urgency to tell the people around me about the power of hope that is born from the heart of God. It is the life-changing, life-giving, transforming, healing, liberating, an empowering God energy that lies in the heart of every believer. However faint that spark of hope and power is, it can be fanned into flame by the God whose very life is in all of us, and that very life is in you and I. So I am here to bear witness of this life-changing, life-giving, transforming, healing, liberating an empowering God energy that lies and lives on in every one of our hearts and is present in all of creation, all because of the resurrection. Now, this probably is not the most pleasant Easter, but then again, Jesus didn't rise from the dead to provide us with an annual pleasant Easter. Jesus rose from the dead to provide the world with this radical hope that says hopelessness, death, futility, disillusionment, and despair are never going to have the final word. They may be a part of our journey, but they will never have the final word, not in my life and not in your life. And in these moments, these moments in which we ask that question, what are we going to do now? Jesus says to us, keep showing up every day, because I'm going to keep showing up every day for you in the here and now as your source of aliveness, as your source of energy, as your source of vitality. Let me offer a prayer for us. I'm loving and gracious God. It's so um, strange at times maybe to see and know and experience that resurrection power now because we think about it something that happened years or years ago, 2,000 years ago, which feels so remote, an event. But it's more than an event. It's an experience in the here and now. And so my prayer is that as we open ourselves to you, as we are receptive to your life-giving energy and aliveness, that you would fill us with your resurrection power, your resurrection energy, 
which would grant us through your grace, resilience, confidence, strength, perseverance, stamina, whatever we may need in the moment to just keep going, whatever we may need in the moment to just show up every day, whatever we may need in the moment to get done what we need to get done, whatever we may need in the moment to just be as we need to be. We open our hearts to that. We open our souls to it because we know that there's nothing more that you want to do than just to give us and offer us your grace and your aliveness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.